Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. And hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of the Association 4.0 podcast and founder and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations. So today I am so excited that my guest is Greg Larkin. Greg is the CEO of Punks and Pinstripes, a vetted membership community for rebel corporate leaders and those who leave corporate organizations to launch new ventures. He is also the author of bestseller, This Might Get You Fired. He is a keynote speaker and creator of some of the most disruptive innovations of our time. And he's spoken at some of our .org community events, and he's always so exciting to listen to. So thanks so much, Greg, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Sherry. It's awesome to see you again. As my listeners know, I am passionate about helping leaders develop skills for navigating fast-paced digital markets. And this is a conversation that I'm really looking forward to because you always bring a powerful dose of unconventional wisdom for our often conformist association world. So thanks again, Greg. And why don't you tell us a little bit about punks and pinstripes and your background, and maybe a little bit about what association CEOs can learn from this group. So Punks and Pinstripes is an executive network for two demographics. One is punks in pinstripes, people who are in the executive leadership of large organizations and large companies who are wired just a little bit differently. They're a little bit punk rock. They're a little bit irreverent. They have a vision of where the organization and the industry needs to go that maybe hard for other people to hear. And then the other category of punks and pinstripes members are post-corporate post entrepreneurs, punks after pinstripes, who leave executive leadership to launch new ventures. I think those two demographics experience a lot of the same things. They're square pegs in round holes. They're a little bit irreverent. They see things differently. They're more motivated by trying to be impactful than trying to get promoted. And mm -hmm. they're a little bit punk rock. They speak truth to power. They're not afraid to be disliked. And they don't fit in in the business fraternities and business sororities. They have invites to all of them, but it's not their speed. They'll go to Davos. But when they show up there, they're like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> We're a bastion for them. We're a community that's entirely designed for those people where we help each other through the hard stuff. The way I like to describe it is everyone else is Guy Fieri and Martha Stewart and we're Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I don't know if I would describe myself as that much of a punk, but even throughout my association career, I led, whether it's projects or companies within the association, I led a for-profit and people would say, why are you doing this? And why is the association doing this? And at some point when I ran the web development company within an association, they literally kind of put us on the side of the building and said, Sherry, you do your thing. And we did. And it was great, but mm -hmm. but it would have been great to have like a group that understood like, okay, we're a little bit yeah. different than the status quo of what's going on in the organization. And, you know, with that said, the association community tends to be pretty conventional. How do you think that we can step out of our comfort zone and be better prepared for a disruptive business environment. You have to ask yourself some really tough questions 
And you have to find the people within your organizations that are willing to answer those questions honestly. And I think those are questions like, what are we not able to achieve if we keep doing what everyone else is doing? What is something where you just are going to have to speak truth to power in order to say the thing that needs to be said? How comfortable are you being disliked in order to be effective? Those are some tough questions. Most people like being liked. Most people don't want to risk being a freak or an outlier. They don't want to feel like an outcast. You know, getting caught in the web of obstructionism inside of an industry or a category that's really old, it's really intimidating. And progress is not possible without it. No innovation, no change anywhere that was worthwhile and necessary ever happened unless someone was willing to step forward and take the hits and say something that was hard for other people to hear. And I, I like to say that there's a huge difference between punk as an act of love versus punk as an act of war. Mm -hmm. And punk as an act of love is more like what I'm about to say is going to be hard for you to hear. And it's difficult for me to say, but I'm saying it because I think we can be and do better and be more impactful and fulfill our mission more effectively. And it means we're gonna have to start doing some things and stop doing others. That's punk as an act of love. It's the person who's gonna sit down with someone in your family and be like, you're gonna have to start dieting and doing exercise because <laughs> we wanna be with you for a really long time. That's an act of love, not an act of contempt. That's not teasing them. Punk as an act of war is like, let's burn the whole thing down. And that's a really important distinction. I think when people are able to understand how do you approach those punk situations, those punk circumstances from a place of positive intent becomes a little less intimidating and more effective. I love that. I just started thinking as you were talking about that, there is a CEO in our industry. We had a presentation or a conversation around AI and, and he's very forward thinking. And he got a lot of negative feedback from people in the audience who are extremely conservative on the other side. And he has no problem saying, hey, we need to change. We need to think about, you know, how we grow and this and that, whatever. And so he's very different in this kind of very conservative environment. And while associations kind of like they know because they were really disrupted in 2020 with events and all of those sure. things, they've kind of gone back to that, you know, typical conservative model. So I love some of the things that you were saying. And to kind of follow up on that, what recommendations do you have for associations to attract and retain members in an environment where there is so much competition for people's time and attention? That's a really hard thing for associations to do, but you have to be very clear. There's a model to all of the content that we put out there, and it is very intentionally drawing a huge, sharp distinction between us versus them. Like someone who's going through hell, dealing with a really tough issue and a really tough thing in their life. And in our case, we call those the five corporate crises, right? You had a massive earnings disaster. A new entrant has come into your market and is disrupting everything because they're using new technology that's making everyone look obsolete. You've just got a hostile M&A bid. You have an activist investor that's trying to kill you. All of these crises, when innovation isn't just something that's interesting or curious, it's actually urgent. It's essential. You will not get through this unless you start changing everything you hold sacred. And, and in those circumstances, 
there are people and mindsets that can thrive and survive. And those are punks. Those are the people who are not intimidated by it. They, they view it as the opening that they've been waiting for in order to do something and finally have actual permission to challenge the status quo and implement something that's different than what was there before. There are certain situations and certain scenarios that require a punk. And the way in which we differentiate ourselves is by vividly describing those situations. What's it like when you're sitting in an executive board meeting and everything's burning down, but everyone wants to pretend it's business as usual. Mm -hmm. What's it like when everything about your organization's mission is not getting accomplished and everything's going to collapse if you can't change? Tell me what colors the wallpaper is. Like, Make it like watching this in a movie. And then you have to be very explicit about what's the status quo ordinary solution available to those people who are going through that hell. And what makes your solution different? Why is it that your alternative vision of getting out of those very difficult scenarios is the only thing that works when everyone has tried everything else that's ordinary? That kind of like, number one, what does hell look like? <laughs> number two, what are the conventional solutions available to people going through hell? What's wrong with them? And then three, what's different about yours and why is it more effective? And when you're able to tell that story and have that be the engine of everything you say about yourself you're not just creating an association or a nonprofit. you're building a movement because everyone has been waiting for someone to be like thank you like we talk so much smack against mckenzie yeah i saw that on your blog <laughs> because anyone in a position of executive leadership has probably hired mckenzie when they were going through hell and gotten nothing to show for it except an eight-figure, tens or maybe hundreds of millions of dollars PowerPoint deck that just yeah. did not solve the problem. Might have had ideas for solving the problem, but it didn't solve the problem. And it wasn't crafted by people who have had to live with the consequences of the solution that was being offered. It was experts without experience. We agitate about that. We talk about the scenarios which might lead a company to hire McKinsey. We talk about the outcome you get if you hire McKinsey, and then we create the punk alternative. If you actually are going through that, there's a totally not very visible underground path that is just a total deviation, but it's cheaper, it's faster, it's better, it's tougher, it's more honest, it has more integrity, and it works. It just works, and these are the people who have made it work. Any association has to be able to tell that story. They have to be. Because when you start telling that story, people feel like they're part of something that's bigger than themselves. Everyone who's been dying for someone to call that out and offer an alternative will be like, oh, where have you been all my life? I've been waiting for someone to have the audacity to say that out loud. It's a very hard thing to do. It takes courage. Do it anyway. As you're telling that story, I know of an association that was in trouble, still is in trouble, hired McKinsey, and the outcome was we're laying off a bunch we're yeah. laying off a bunch of staff, but we're still in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, you have a, layoffs. The you have a off, they're like, they had to lay us off because they had to pay McKinsey. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's just interesting that like, I kind of but came full circle but so on that. Think but it about was interesting. that. Was it the first? So I'm going to I'm going to ask you some questions. Was it an organization 
where the trouble they were in was the first time anyone's been in that trouble? No, absolutely not. Were the people who have been in that kind of trouble able to come out of it and get to the other side? Other At the organization? No, and where that's happened in other oh, organizations. Oh, yeah, sure, with the right leadership. Right, but my point is, is that the help you can get from people who have survived and come out the other side is very different than $58 million from the most prestigious management consultancy in the world that's actually never lived through the problem they're helping yeah. you fix. That's and the people point. who have, the survivors are very different than the observers. And if you hire a survivor, if you get their advice, they're going to tell you, these are all the rookie mistakes. These are all the traps you're being told that are being sold to you. These are all the conventional things that everyone's knee-jerk reaction is, is actually going to hurt you more. Do this instead. I love so that. If you start talking about your association and those terms, us versus them, the punks versus the pinstripes, the conventional wisdom that's no longer applicable versus the punk alternative, people start to feel really proud to wear that on their sleeve to be part of that group. Yeah, that's great. Now you've kind of connected the dots for me because the CEO that I was talking about, that is one that's always kind of at the forefront, taking risks, being the first he's done major turnarounds. So he's been through, I guess, you know, a survivor in that kind of growth mode and that it takes a different approach than sure. some of the conventional folks. So I'm going to switch this a little bit because I love this story. And is there something that we should be doing that might get us fired? And if so, what is that and why? Innovating might get you fired. What no one in innovation MBA programs will tell you about is how much of a political risk it is to do something different. And the obstructionists, anytime you start putting points on the board by building something new or, or turning around something that's old and failing, you're not just creating an objectively beneficial outcome. You're also telling everyone who's in a position of power that the organization into that situation where it was starting to struggle that they're no longer worthy of their power. And I think a lot of innovations and innovators neglect just how incredibly underhanded and tough the backlash can be mm -hmm. from those obstructionists who are concerned about self-preservation and self-promotion. And that's the difference in my time and as an innovator at Google and Uber and Bloomberg and across all these companies, every time I actually built an innovation that worked, I almost got fired. Every time, because it was successful, not because it wasn't, but because it started to work and it started to make people concerned about losing their fiefdom. And it really agitated me when I wrote the book that like the characteristic about the people who can bring great innovations to fruition inside of really big, mature, established organizations is that they can recognize the obstructionist defense and call the right play to get past it. That's what makes it work. That's the difference between an entrepreneur and a big company or a big organization and an entrepreneur and a startup. And the tools of anti-obstructionism, naming the obstructionists, you know, are they the skeptics, the cops, the traditionalists, the territorialists, the capitalists, naming them and knowing that there's a play you call when you encounter each one of them will make you bulletproof as an innovator. Because what's absolutely 100% guaranteed every time is when you start doing something new, even if it's mission critical, one of those obstructionists is going to try to get you fired. 
every single time. And if they haven't tried to get you fired, then you haven't started innovating yet. And that's a hard thing for people to hear. It's not what they talk about in design thinking school at with IDEO. It's not what McKinsey's Digital Transformation Summit is ever going to tell you about. They don't like mentioning that ugly secret. Maybe they've never lived through it before. But for those of us who have actually built stuff that made a difference, that made a dent, or transformed things that were really struggling and needed some new life and a swift kick in the pants, every one of us who's been through that knows that it was one of the most politically difficult, challenging, fraught, confrontational things you've ever gone through in business ever. Yeah. And do it anyway. It's awesome. It's wonderful. After a while, you start to feel different. You know that opposition is validation. It's supposed to piss people off. That's how you know it's working. And that's why a lot of us now are either consultants or started some sort of company. <laughs> sure. Sort of. But like, how else would you want to, how do you want to live? I mean, in punks and pinstripes, it's both. We have the punks and pinstripes who are like, yeah. I don't need to be liked here. I need to be effective. I need to be proud of the work I'm doing. I need to be empowering to people who are punks here. And it makes me feel great. You know, we have a member who's the head of transformation at Nike, is a member of Punks and Pinstripes. He loves it at Nike. He gets into fights all the time. They love him for it. They bring him into the room to be that outspoken, like, we need a punk in this meeting. That's awesome. Because he's not doing it out of anything other than love and vision of how good Nike can be and how much he thinks the people within Nike deserve to feel like they're doing their best work, deserve to feel like they're making potential, deserve to feel hungry and not get complacent and bloated and because they're not willing to talk about difficult shit. Sorry, I cursed. It's okay. <laughs> um, one of our members is the CIO of BNY Mellon. He loves it there. He pushes that organization to do things that they would never otherwise do. It's great. It's That's thrilling great. for him. And it's tough. He's a little bit defiant. What those people build after they leave is also incredible. They leave with love. You know, maybe they get fired or they're pushed out, but it's never the very often wrong when, intent. It's almost always graceful and beneficial, you yeah. know? Look, where you want to go is not where we want to go. Can we be an anchor client for your new venture? Can we be an investor in your new venture? Can we be a good friend to you on the outside and you be a good friend to us on the outside? We know your intentions are solid and positive. You know, we don't yeah. want to be holding you back. You know, what do you see are like primary strengths of an entrepreneurial or an entrepreneurial approach to leadership? A couple of things differentiation you know you're creating a new category you're not creating a new entrant in an existing category speed you have to be able to relentlessly delete waste relentlessly mm. delete dogma challenge every requirement all the time a lot of things that cost money and take time are only there because no one's ever asked is this necessary what happens if we don't do that let's see I just finished reading Walter Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk, and he built a rocket ship for 10% the budget of the nearest competitor because he went through yeah. the entire process of building a rocket ship and was like, why is that there? Why do we do it that way? How come this is there? And you wake up after that entire process and you're getting a, a rocket into lower orbit and landing it back on Earth for 10% of what the previous rockets cost and, and doing it in 10% of the time. And you're speaking truth to power in a way that you never have to pay for your own ads. You're not buying yeah. an audience. You're not 
replacing Super Bowl commercials, you're creating newsworthy controversy. Not necessarily controversy, but you get to be known for being someone who says something that's worth listening to. That's a little bit. Mm -hmm. Our application window is we allow 25 members into Punks and Pinstripes every quarter and membership is capped at 200. I'm like, all right, we could just announce to the world that our application window is open. What we did instead is we created a fake organization called the Crush It Summit. I saw be, that. that and it was going to be headlined by Simon Sinek and Anthony Bourdain. And no, not Anthony Bourdain. Simon Sinek, Tony Robbins, and Peter Diamandis. Yeah. We're like, come to the Crush It Summit. It's going to be $100,000 per ticket. It's ultra exclusive. It's going to be awesome. Pack a suitcase full of adrenaline because this is for the strong, not the weak. You know, it was very alpha and like man spreading and kind of like, yeah. And then it we said- It caught my attention. It caught everyone's <laughs> I like, attention. I was like, what's Greg doing? And then I said, you know what? That sounds awful. If you're actually a punk, if you're looking for a community rather than a convention center, you should probably apply to join Punks and Pinstripes. We're a little different. By the way, I modeled it based on an actual event that costs an actual $100,000. I won't name the event. It's like 10% more extreme, but only 10% more extreme. It's like the Colbert Report versus Bill O'Reilly, you know, <laughs> kind of had to like, wait, is that, is this real? What's going on? And then it's like, once you know, it's not real, you're like, yeah. oh, I feel better. But the thing that you do when you frame it like that is you point a very clear distinction between everything else that's available for people looking for a community and what you're offering. Because a lot of communities are going to a Tony Robbins seminar. Right. A lot of communities are going to uh, a Simon Sinek seminar. Mm -hmm. And is it punk? I don't think it is. Is it intimate? I don't think it is. Is it actually listening to you? Are you actually going to walk away feeling heard? Are you actually going to walk away with real solidarity with the people there? To an extent, but I think there's a lot of people who aren't wired in that way, who are looking for an alternative, who prefer finding something a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, what? What is he talking about? <laughs> Talk to me just a little bit about what your thoughts on how organizations can help teams innovate. I mean, is it hiring the right people that will push the buttons? Is it giving that space to allow for innovation? Like, what are your thoughts? I think making it safe for people to be anti-obstructionist leaders is the hardest thing you can do in any organization. How are we getting in our own way? What is culturally incompatible with the boldness of our mission? In what ways is the boldness of our mission matched with something which is just really conservative and dogmatic and doesn't need to be that way? That can be talent. But if you're in a regular cadence of asking good questions about your own obstructionist tendencies, you'll be all right. It's going to be hard. It means you're going to have some difficult conversations, but the alternative is stagnation and the alternative is that cultural rot is just no one talks about it it's just swept mm -hmm. under the rug it just becomes moldy honestly that's almost a default state in a lot of organizations and you have to create space to talk about it and be like hey you know we can be stagnant and ordinary or we can have a conversation about what needs to change and who needs to change. My consultants called yesterday and we've been working with this organization and we've been talking about like how slow they are to move. They have a really good innovative program idea and they just can't 
move the needle forward. And what's happened is a competitor has announced that they're going to be doing the same thing now. Culturally, you know, concerned about getting everybody on the same page and on board and everybody happy. And <laughs> we're like, you know, unfortunately, you know, this may end up going nowhere because of that. So I think it's just something for people to really keep in mind that those organizations that can move quicker, not be afraid of failure, you know, making mistakes. I always say somebody in my career one time, I was having a meltdown when I was, I don't know, 27, 28. And I went to this, she was a number two at the organization. I was crying with, you know, this crisis and Sherry's like, Sherry, no one's bleeding. No one's dying. Calm down. And I was like, yeah. So sometimes you realize I'm like, okay, mistakes happen. Yeah. It can be fixed. This is not surgery. We don't have anybody, you know, on the table. We're good. <laughs> I mean, I think you have to put things in their proper perspective. I don't know. You know, someone said this to me recently, which is the future is friendly. What freaked me out 10 years ago, if I could like go back there and say to former self, hey, I want you to know where you're going to be 10 years from now because you'll stop freaking out. Oh, true. <laughs> you're going to be fine, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. as scary and intimidating and sleepless as all this is, you're going to be fine. Yeah. And when you kind of frame things in that perspective, you know, your current self talking to like your former freaking out self, at some point 10 years from now, you're going to have that conversation with your current self. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the reason the future is friendly. You just need to like right size your fears and the consequences of the things that scare you the most. Is it unrecoverable if they break? No. We just went through a pandemic. You were the first mm -hmm. talk I gave after the pandemic. Yeah. I'm okay. I yeah. had COVID three times. Yeah. It sucked. I'm okay. Yeah. You know? You know what? Maybe we're a little bit more tenacious and resilient for having gone through it. True. There's something to be True. said about pressure tested optimism. It's one thing to be optimistic because you're denying the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's just false hope. It's another thing to be pressure tested optimistic, meaning my eyes are wide open about how bad this can get. Yeah. And my eyes are equally wide open about how good it could turn out if everything goes wrong. That's pretty powerful. If you're that able to like live that and embody that and bring that with you, there's a certain strength in knowing that your scars are your superpower. There's a okay. certain confidence with which you navigate life when you know that. You know, Greg, on that, I am going to wrap this up because I don't know. That's like the best, I think, quote of... <laughs> I don't know, the day, the week, the month, whatever. <laughs> month. But I love that. You know, I really appreciate this great discussion. And thanks to our listeners who have tuned in. And Greg, if people want to find your book, hear about where they can book you for keynote or anything else, how can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Greg Larkin. And they can go to punksandpinstripes.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Greg. I really, really appreciate your time. I lo always love talking with you and I hope to see you really soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Sherry. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Dot.org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. 
please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.